Our New Testament reading is John chapter 10, verse 1 through 18, which you can find on page 583 in the paper Bibles. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee for him, from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and I will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. So in case you um, haven't been tracking with us, maybe you weren't here last week, um, or you haven't been following along on the podcast or something, um, let me just briefly uh, recap a little bit that happened last week. Last week, we looked at the story uh, of Jesus healing this man who had been born blind. Um, and in the course of this story, uh, if you've got your Bibles open now, you can look up to, to verse uh, probably 32, 33 there. Um, you see that um, Jesus, uh, after he heals this man, the man is confronted by the synagogue leaders. And those leaders, um, they end up challenging this guy as to whether or not he has been uh, really healed. They challenge him as to whether or not he uh, believes in Jesus now. And they try to uh, uh, confront him and try to get him to commit. Is Jesus the Messiah? Um, his parents, uh, they won't touch it with a 10-foot pole, and uh, they kind of throw him under the bus and are like, whoa, just ask him, don't ask us, he's of age. Um, and when they do finally press him, the guy does commit that, like, like look, the guy, like, I don't know who he is, but he, all I can tell you is I was blind, and now I see. Um, and uh, they say, well, are you his disciple now? And then he says, um, well, he responds to them about that. And finally, they say, like, look, 
you're out of the synagogue. And that's in verse 33. They kick him out of the synagogue. So as he's kicked out of the synagogue, this is where uh, the story picks up this week. Um, Jesus responds to this scenario um, with this parable, this figure of speech. He doesn't even call it a parable. He calls it a figure of speech. Okay, so what I want to say is uh, uh, don't try to read this figure of speech like an allegory. It's not an allegory. It's not even a, it's not even a parable. If you try to read it that way, you're, the math isn't going to work out right. It's going to end up with some strange imagery. Um, but there are images in it. You've got thieves. You've got robbers. You've got wolves. Uh, you've got a sheepfold. You've got a gatekeeper. You've got a door. You've got a shepherd. You've got sheep. Uh, you've got uh, hired hands. Um, and all of these are kind of working together to point to the message that Jesus is trying to get across here. And basically, the message he's trying to get across, uh, it's kind of like, remember in uh, The Dark Knight, if you saw that, when the Joker is facing the mobsters, he's, in that, he's at that table with them, and the accountant is at the other end on the screen. If you didn't see it, I'm sorry. Uh, but he, but, but the, uh, the accountant has basically taken all the mobsters' money and, and hidden it away so that the, the feds can't get it, and the police can't get at it. And the Joker tries, is, is trying to point out that that guy's not trustworthy. He's like, he's like trust me, Batman is going to find that guy, and when he does, he's going he's gonna to squeeze him, and he's going to make him squeal. And he says, trust me, I know the squealers when I see him. And he just points at him like that. And Jesus is like, I know the wolves, and I know the thieves and the robbers when I see them. And, and he's pointing at the faces uh, of these leaders who have just kicked this guy out of the synagogue because Jesus healed. Jesus healed him, and he said, yeah, that's what happened. And as a result, he's kicked out of the synagogue. And you got to understand what a big deal that was, what a blow that would be to a person to be kicked out of the synagogue. Um, I imagine it, it might be similar today, or maybe, maybe it's fading, but in the, in the South, what it would mean uh, to be kicked out of your church. You know, there, I mean, in the South, people go to church, they don't even believe in God, but they go to church because it's what you have to do in order to be part of the community. It's what you have to do in order to have people come to your business, in order to get hired for jobs. You have to participate in this communal exercise. Uh, and add to that the fact that if you do believe in it and you're kicked out of the synagogue, um, now you're, you're excluded from your identity as one of the people of God. Uh, and these uh, synagogue leaders have just done this to this man who he spent the first however many years of his life blind and now he's going to spend the next part of his life as you know he was an outsider because of that and now he's even worse now he can see but no one's going to hire him for any jobs he's not going to be able to buy property he's not going to be able to to trade with anybody he's worse off than no, no one's going to now if he sits and begs no one's going to even give him anything because he is out of the synagogue it's a death sentence they've cut him off and it's in response to this that Jesus starts talking about being uh, talking about shepherds and sheep and thieves and robbers and hirelings and wolves. And he's saying, I know wolves when I see them, and wolves. 
I know robbers and thieves. And his major point is that these guys are deceptive, they're self-seeking, they are treating this man the way that a wolf or a thief treats a sheep. But he, in contrast, is a good shepherd. Uh, He will gather his people. He will take in the outsider, the one who's been excluded. And he is going to form a new community. So his message is pretty simple. If you, if, you can, if you can approach it not like an allegory, not trying to make the thing, like Jesus is the shepherd and he's the door that the shepherd goes through. You're like, if you can put that, the sort of algebra aside, uh, the message is pretty simple and clear. He's saying, he's, saying three, uh, he's saying three very clear things. He's telling us about the way and the depth of his care for his people. He's telling us about the way that he calls his people. And he's telling us about the proof of his right to do those two things, to call and care for his people. When he tells us about the care for his people, he's talking about the spiritual safety and protection that he offers them. He's talking about the spiritual life and provision that he offers them. And he's talking about the way that his care for them is exclusive. He's the only one that can do for them what needs to be done. And when talking about the way that he calls his people, He tells us that he calls them individually by name. He tells us that he calls them corporately. And again, he tells us that he calls them exclusively. He's the only one to whom they will actually listen and who has the ability to gather them. So begin to talk about his care for his people. Uh, Talking about a shepherd, I guess the first question you might ask is, do I need a shepherd? Do we need a shepherd? Like, you know, I mean, I think we're, we're trained by our culture to think that we're individuals. Um, we're, we, we don't, I don't want to go with the flock. I want to go against the flow. I'm an American. Uh, I want to uh, be an original, just like everybody else. Um, you know, a great theme from that movie, The Incredibles, which my kids, uh, my boys are discovering and loving, and Hada's loved it for a long time. Um, but, you know, the, you know, when everyone is special, then no one will be. You know, I wanna, I'm going to be special and original, just like everybody else. Um, do I need a shepherd? Okay. Um, and to, to talk about that, let's talk about Batman versus Superman. <laughs> um, and, but no worry, you don't even need to have seen it. Um, because what I want to talk about is not really so much the plot of that movie, um, but the way that one writer uh, responded to it. His name is Devin Faraci. Um, I get the impression that he's probably in his 40s, because he talks about going to see Superman the motion picture um, in 1978 with Christopher Reeve. And this, is, this piece of writing that I read, it's called, the article is called Superman and the Damage Done. And in this article, he's not so much reviewing the movie as... Well, it's, it's less of a review and more of a complaint. But, I mean, I guess that seems to be the way most of the reviews of this movie have been. I, people, critics don't seem to like it very much. But in, the, in this uh, review, what he's trying to get at is that Superman is supposed to be this ideal. Um, he was invented by two Jewish writers 
1938, in the middle of the Great Depression, as this picture of strength wielded with gentleness, as power that is always kind and polite, always committed to doing the right thing, even, even when his powers are taken away and he's actually vulnerable, he still is committed to doing the right thing. Um, he is perfect in his goodness and gentleness and politeness and care for people. Um, and in the 1970s, we were in a similar situation. We, had a, uh, we were coming out of a really bad uh, economic recession. Um, there was tremendous turmoil in the culture. We were coming out of the Vietnam War. And this writer is remembering going to see this and feeling like the need to see a man who could fly and a man who was that powerful. Um, but always gentle, always polite. Um, he talks about how Christopher Reeve as Superman tends to float and maybe even and flit, but, but Zack Snyder's Superman, who we see in, in Batman versus Superman, tends to crash and crush concrete when he lands. Um, he's always floating above people, looking down at them, and people are looking up at him. He's re he, like, he receives, it looks, there's an, an image where it looks like he's receiving worship from these people who... Uh, after he saves someone. Um, he says, he's, the point he's making is, Zack Snyder seems to hate Superman. He seems to hate the idea. We need this, he's saying, we need this image of, of a powerful person who can show us. He says this, just like in 1938 and just like in 1978, it is a tough world out there. We're in a sluggish economic recovery and we're stumbling out of two terrible, costly wars of aggression we are in the middle of an election cycle that is actually insane. <laughs> we wake up to news reports of suicide bombings in Brussels and in a park full of women and children in Pakistan. Cops shoot black children dead on video and then don't get prosecuted. The ideals of America seem distant today and hope seems even more distant. Just as in 1938 and 1978, we need a bright, hopeful figure to fly in and remind us, catch this, remind us of what we can be, of who we are when we are not weighted down by hate. We need a Superman. Um, I mean, can we tighten that screw? I mean, this, he's talking big picture stuff, but I mean, let's walk out the door. Let's go walk down Washington Street tonight at 9, 10. Let's go walk down Center Street this afternoon. It's not that far away. People hurting. The, the level of homelessness in this city. But even if you're not homeless, you know, it's tough to get a job. It's tough to find a, an apartment that you can afford in this city. Uh, not to mention violence. Not to mention disease taking people. Untimely, leaving children behind. It is a tough world out there. Uh, we crave a shepherd. We crave a Superman. In the movie, um, the, the writer and director puts onto the lips of Lex Luthor the very challenge that many of us, I think, offer to God himself. Lex Luthor says, says I figured out when I was very young that God cannot be both good and powerful. If he's all good, then he's not all powerful. And if, he, and if he's all powerful, he can't be all good. And he looks at Superman and neither can you. And that's kind of the plot of the movie is to challenge 
and to demonstrate that Superman cannot be both all good and all powerful. And he can't. Because as powerful as he is, he is only human. And that's a tough thing to face. Uh, we crave a shepherd and they're hard to find. But, you know, the insanity of this election cycle might even just prove how much we do crave a shepherd. Um, if you're a Democrat, and, and maybe even if you're a Republican, uh, you're probably looking at Trump fervor and you're just baffled by it. Um, if you are, conversely, if you're a Republican or maybe even if you're a Democrat, you're looking at, at fervor for Hillary Clinton and you're thinking, how can people be following her? Or you're looking at people who are supporting Sanders and you're thinking, that man is, an, is a fool. How can people be following him? Uh, not realizing that you're doing the same thing, putting your hopes and dreams in a human being, believing that this person that you're supporting is going to be able to, to, to solve our problems. You can see it about the opposite side. Can you see it about yourself? That you're craving a shepherd. Um, and as this writer, uh, Devin Faraci, says, it's a tough world out there. We're looking for someone to care for us and to show us the way. Someone we can trust in and follow into a better future. I mean, let's be honest. A president can't possibly solve the problems that really matter most to us. I mean, the economy, uh, foreign policy, Put that aside, you still have a marriage, you still have friends, you still have, or you don't have a marriage and you want one, or you don't have friends and you want to have them, or you had friends and you lost them because you're a jerk, or you had a marriage and you lost that because you were a jerk. A new president's not going to solve your loneliness, your confusion, your anger, your selfishness, your self-centeredness. All of these things that isolate you from other people, you are the problem. I'm the problem. The shepherds that we are looking for and trying to look to can't save us. Farachi, Devin Farachi said that uh, we need a character like Superman to remind us of what we can be and who we are when we're not weighted down by hate. How are you going to stop being weighted down by hate? What kind of a shepherd is it going to take for you to be set free of your hate? None of the potential shepherds out there are able to set you free from your own fear. And so when Jesus is promising spiritual safety and protection, in this context, in the context of this story, the main thing that he is promising us safety and protection from is the people who would prey upon our craving for a shepherd. He says here that if we follow him, he will protect us from the thieves and the wolves who want to deceive us and devour us. The thing about, look, a thief and a wolf have the same relationship with a sheep. Um, you think about shepherding. You have a flock of sheep. The money, if you're a shepherd and you have a flock of sheep, the money, the, the, the prosperity is in keeping them all together and keeping them alive so that they grow their wool, which you can... Cut, clip off them and sell. Um, if you are a thief, the money is in killing it and eating it. You don't, there's not enough profit in stealing one sheep and shearing it to, to justify the risk of a crime. Uh, but there is immediate uh, profit in the meat that you can, I mean, maybe, and depending on how desperate you are, that you can feed your family. So the, the thing about a thief is that he wants to kill the sheep. 
The thing about a wolf is that he wants to, and you do it, you separate the sheep from the flock, and then you kill it. And that's what these leaders have done. and, And that is what the shepherds that are trying to get our attention want to. They want to divide us and separate us from each other. They want to cordon us off so that, they, so that we will empower them. But Jesus is promising us that if we are with him, we will be safe from their tricks. He will fight off the wolves. He will build a high wall so the thieves can't come in. He will be the very door that shuts them out. And he's promising us also, in addition to spiritual safety and protection, he's promising us spiritual life and provision. He says that if we follow him, he will give us more abundant life. Now, obviously, when he says abundant life, he doesn't mean longer biological life. When he's talking about life, he's talking about spiritual life. He's talking about life in the way that William Wallace meant it when he said, uh, all men die but not all men truly live. You know, he's talking about, you could die tomorrow, but if you're with me, you will be truly alive before then. And there's a greater promise than that, which we will come to. Promising a spiritual abundant life, more abundant life, liveliness, lifefulness. He says that he will nourish us for that spiritual life, the way that a shepherd provides for his sheep. And in addition to those two things, the spiritual safety and protection, spiritual safety and provision, he says that his care is exclusive. He's the only one that can care for us this way. Uh, Now, if you're not a Christian um, and you're an American, that probably bothers you quite a bit. Um, There's this idea that's sort of pervasive in our culture that claims to exclusivity uh, in religion um, are always bad. Uh, The thing that I would like, if that's you, if that's how you think about that, the thing that I would maybe like to challenge you with is that I think that you are making, if that's that's where you're at, I think that you're making uh, two serious errors in, in the way that you're thinking about that. One, you're making a huge assumption for which you don't have any evidence. You're assuming that claims to exclusivity are false. How do you know that those claims are false? What evidence do you have about the spiritual world that you know for sure that all claims to spiritual exclusivity are false? You don't have any. You don't have any evidence of that. You're you're guessing and you're hoping that that's true, Um, but you don't know that for sure. Um, On the contrary, um, all the evidence points in the other direction. All of the kinds of evidence that we do have is always exclusive, right? Either the sun goes around the earth or the earth goes around the sun. And if you demonstrate that one is true, you're demonstrating that the other is false. Either uh, hydrogen is one proton and one electron or it is something other than that. And if you demonstrate that hydrogen is one proton and one electron, then all other descriptions of hydrogen are false. Um, With all of the kinds of verifiable truth that we do have, claims of truth are always exclusive. They can be wrong or they can be right. They can be true or they can be false. But what we can verify is that they're exclusive. 
What gives you the confidence that the same is not true about spiritual things? How do you know that? I'm not trying to give you evidence that it is true. I'm just trying to ask you to have some skepticism about your assumptions. And secondly, uh, you're contradicting yourself by making your own exclusive truth claim about God that God does not have exclusive truth claims. Right? So you imagine, like, if God revealed himself to you in a vision or a dream and you could somehow verify that this was really the genuine article and he said to you, may I have your attention, please, there are no exclusive truth claims about me. And then you went and told somebody that you were making an exclusive truth claim about God and you are as dogmatic as any other prophet of any other deity in the history of the world. So you have a self-refuting problem if that's your position. Uh, you're saying that you and your view of God is the correct one and every other view is wrong. Consider that. So maybe at this point, all I'm asking you to do, if that's your position, is keep an open mind. Um, you know, I will say in the, in the scope of, of, uh, you know, of logical reasonableness, it is logically possible that you're correct. Um, it creates a tautology, uh, but perhaps you are right and perhaps that's just the nature of the universe. Um, but perhaps you're wrong, and that's what I want to ask you to consider, that there is, significant, there is sufficient reason to consider that you may be wrong. Um, and that brings us to the second thing that Jesus is, uh, is talking about. He's talked about his care. And he also talks about his call to his people. Um, look at verse 3. It says that a shepherd calls, knows his sheep, and calls them by name. And I got to tell you, that's actually not usually true about shepherds. Uh, shepherds don't name their hundreds of sheep and call, and like when it's time to go in the morning, Bart, Bob, Sarah, naming them all until they come. No, usually the thing is, like, you know, in, in the West, shepherds usually have sheepdogs, in the East, they don't even have sheepdogs. They just train, the, the sheep were trained to recognize their voice, which Jesus talks about here. And, and they would say, they would have like a particular sound that they would make, a call that they would give, and that was just unique to them. And the sheep, all of the sheep that recognized that voice and that call would just come. So when Jesus says that the shepherd knows the sheep and calls them by name, he's saying something pretty profound. That as a shepherd, he is more caring more involved, more careful, more loving toward his sheep, toward us, than any shepherd really is to theirs. He's also claiming uh, that his call is effective. Right? He's claiming that he, in contrast with a shepherd who just has a flock of, it, of sheep, just sheep, uh, he knows you. He knew you yesterday. He knew you before you were made. He knew your name. And you, if you believe in him, if you're a member of the church, if you have trusted in Jesus, Jesus is saying that that's because he called you by name. He called you personally by name. As a uh, one of the great old episodes of Star Trek, the original series. Uh, they're on this planet. They're on a planet. And there's a woman 
who has this, she has this herb that gives her this power over men. And uh, Kirk falls under her spell. And of course, right? And, and he, like, he shows up where she is at one point, and she says, you're here because I have wished you here. And he, and he, he puts on his Captain Kirk lazy, sexy face. You know the one. And he says, uh, he says, really, I thought it was my idea. Um, and, you know, and that may be exactly what your relationship with the church is. Jesus is saying, you're here because I called you here. And you're saying, really? I thought it was my idea. Well, the two things are not mutually exclusive. It was your idea. But you had that idea because he was calling you. Uh, there were circumstances in your life that led you to a place of desperation that, that brought you to the point of needing him. Well, he was involved in all of that. He was bringing you. He was drawing you. He was calling you personally, individually, planning every minute circumstance that brought you to that moment, that brought you even to this moment. And secondly, he calls them corporately. They, he says, them, the flock. He talks about how I have other sheep in other sheepfolds, uh, but they're not here now, but I'm going to get them, and there's going, to, there's going to be one flock and one shepherd. He does not just call you individually. He calls you to be part of his church, to be part of his people. A sheep by itself, again, is not very significant. It's not very valuable. It's only a sheep that is in, in a flock with other sheep that has the value. Uh, he calls them together like this man born blind. He'd been cut off from his community in verse 34 above. Uh, he had been rejected. And Jesus is saying, that's because I'm calling you to be part of my community. The true synagogue, the real synagogue, the real people of God. I knew your name and I'm calling you to be part of a new community where you will be loved and cared for and challenged and where you will have to love and challenge and care for other people. And the exclusivity of this call is really, he's a, it's, I mean, this whole tirade is, is at the Pharisees. This whole figure of speech, you might notice, it doesn't seem to hit home the first time. It's like he has to repeat things. He's kind of like, I, you know, a, a, a shepherd calls his sheep, and there's, there's thieves and robbers, and, but I, you know, and, and everybody's like, I don't, know, I don't know what you're talking about. It reminds me of like in Monsters, Inc., when Mike Wachowski at the end is, is trying to make the kid laugh. It's Billy Crystal, the voice of this monster, and he's trying to make this little kid laugh, and he's, he starts to tell jokes, and he's like, uh, uh, he's like, so you're in kindergarten. I loved kindergarten. It was the best three years of my life. And the kid doesn't, doesn't laugh, and he's like, of my life, of my, of my life. I loved dodgeball. Of course, I was the ball. I, the ball. You know, and I, and I almost feel like that's going on with Jesus here where he's like, I'm the, good, I'm the shepherd and you're the robbers. And the robbers come over the wall and they try to separate a sheep off from all the others and kill it. And that's what you guys are. And everybody's like, shepherd. Okay, look. All right, I'm the door that the shepherd goes through. No, it's, like, listen, I'm the... I'm the shepherd, I'm the good shepherd, 
and the doorkeeper knows me and lets me in so that I can call the sheep and they can... If you've ever been in front of people and you've had like something not hit home, <laughs> you can like relate to this. But the reason it's not hitting home is not because they don't understand shepherds and sheep. They get the analogy. They're rejecting it because it's pointed at them, because he's pointing that finger in their faces. They know what sheepfolds are. They know what wolves and thieves and predators are. They know how, how a thief or a wolf tries to separate a sheep so they can kill it. But those uh, voices will not work on Jesus' sheep. He says, my sheep know my voice and they only follow me. If you're, a, uh, if you're a thief and a robber or a wolf and you're trying to, whoever you're getting, it's not my sheep. My sheep know my voice and I stand up for them and I protect them and they are safe with me. Only his sheep hear his voice. So the fact that they're rejecting the analogy, the fact that they're raging against it, the fact that they're saying it doesn't make any sense, they're proving his point because they are clearly not his sheep. They're thieves and robbers and wolves. They're not one of his. He's, they're, they're proving the point that he's making, that my sheep hear my voice. So how do you know, you're talking in, in chapter 9, they were talking about, we're not his disciples, we're Moses' disciples. Like, I know. I know you're not my disciple. Obviously, you're not my disciple. My sheep hear my voice, and they come when I call. So Jesus is right. What right does he have to make that claim? What right does he have to be the one who is admitted to the sheepfold? I mean, this, this imagery, right, is like it's talking about a wall. It's talking about, uh, you know, this is not a pen out in the country. This is likely to be a, a sheepfold that is shared by many uh, shepherds, and they bring them in at night, then there's like one person who's like paid to keep watch overnight, and then they come in the morning, and they all kind of stand out and call their sheep, and their sheep come to them, and the gatekeeper knows them, and, lets them in. and that's all that's happening. So what gives Jesus the right, the, you know, this supposed gatekeeper? How does the gatekeeper know? How do you know that this is your shepherd? He calls himself the good shepherd, and it's a profound claim. Um, it's a claim, in fact, to divinity. There are uh, lots of shepherds of God's people in the Old Testament. Moses is called the people shepherd. Joshua is called the people shepherd. Uh, many of the prophets are called shepherds. Uh, David was actually a shepherd. Um, there are lots of shepherds, but what we saw in that Old Testament reading from Ezekiel 34 is that when, when the trusted hired shepherds fail, when they become predators, God says, I, my, you like, look at that in Ezekiel 34. He says the word I three times in a row or equivalent. He says, I, I, myself, am going to come and search for my sheep and gather them when they've been scattered. So when, when robbers and thieves and wolves drive God's people apart, God says, I'm coming down myself. And when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm not another hireling. I'm not another hired hand. I'm not another uh, mercenary. I am the owner of the sheep. I'm the right shepherd. I'm the noble shepherd. I'm the true shepherd. I'm the one that said, I will come for my people. 
He is, you know, we know Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, in a, you know, and it's a beautiful picture of the way that God cares for a person. And in, and in Ezekiel 34, it gets amped up with this uh, attitude that God has of protection and his, and his anger that someone has scattered his sheep. I'm coming down. And Jesus is saying, here I am. I've come. I've come to gather my sheep. They know my voice, and they're going to come when I call them, and I'm going to feed them, and I'm going to care for them. Unlike those shepherds, Jesus lays down his life for his sheep. The proof that he has the right is that he says, I lay down my life. You, if, if a wolf comes, somebody who is uh, only a hired hand, they're going to run. You know that I'm the true shepherd because when the violence starts, I'm going to step into the fray. When the wolf bears its teeth, I'm going into its mouth. That's how much I love my sheep. That's how you know I'm the right shepherd. That's how you know I'm the good shepherd. I mean, a good shepherd is not just going to throw himself off a cliff to say, look how much I love you, sheep. Right? He's laying down his life for his sheep because there's a real threat. The fact of the matter is, the evil and the violence in the world is a real threat. And it is evil and violence that begins in your heart and in my heart. And Jesus says, I'm going to take it into myself. I'm going to lay down my life to absorb that blow, to take it all away. That's how you know I'm the right shepherd. Uh, a great scholar named a pastor named Leslie Newbigin uh, said this about this passage. He said, The world is full of self-appointed saviors who offer freedom and security on other terms than those which are embodied in the ministry of Jesus. Those who know his voice will not be seduced by these offers. On the contrary, they learn as they follow the way which he is in that he gives them both security and freedom, that their needs are met abundantly. Jesus is telling us that if you trust in him, there actually is going to be a change in you. That when you uh, stop trying to uh, approach people defensively, which leads to hatefulness, and you can approach them with love and confidence because you know that Jesus is caring for you, the hate will dissipate. Um, The call of those fake shepherds is going to dissipate. It's going to be less attractive. Uh, the Donald Trumps and Hillary Clintons and the Bernie Sanderses of the world aren't going to seem that appealing to you. You're going to vote for one of them. Um, <laughs> but you're not going to be putting your hope in them. You're going to know. You're going to have confidence that God's in control, that Jesus is with you and for you and is caring for you. And he is providing for you and feeding you. 